the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. You know, this Sunday around the world, Christendom will celebrate what we call Palm Sunday. When the Lord rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and everybody waved palm branches, they shouted, Hosanna. But thus would begin Easter week and culminating with uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about these things and more on today's edition of Truth. <laughs> of exploring the word. Bert, I started to say truth for a new generation. That's our <laughs> hey, camp. Hey, is there something coming up with that name, Alex? Do you know? <laughs> there, you know, for 24 years, I've said truth for a new generation, you know, a thousand times. But no, folks, let me start over. This is Exploring the Word on the American Family Radio Network. And Devin, our producer, is probably shaking his head saying, I'm never going to let Alex open the program again. <laughs> hey, Alex, guess what? When, when you can't make it and Jim Stanley is sitting across, I mean, the desk from me half the time, each show, I'm going to say, is that right, Alex? And, uh, <laughs> you know, you get used to doing something if you're not careful. Uh, it's easy to repeat. Amen. But, you know, Bert, I've got to say, this is one of my favorite times of year. I really, really love the Easter season. And folks, of course, because this, and we, we're going to talk about, you know, the triumphal entry of into Jerusalem. And of course, then next week, Bert and I, what we're going to do next week, we're going to go day by day and go over all of the things that we know that Jesus was doing leading up to when he was uh, there was the upper room, there was the Garden of Gethsemane, the betrayal, the arrest, the trials, ultimately the crucifixion. But, Bert, one of the reasons this means so much to me is because the, the resurrection, and we celebrate Easter morning, Christ arose, and how I love that song, Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. This is what makes Christianity different. Our Savior is alive. Amen, Alex. And when you read this, again, the Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry is in all four of the Gospels. It sets this up before, as you said, Passion Week and ultimately the cross and the resurrection. But I, I wanted to bring something. I, I could not help but contrast this a little bit. And this sets it up why the Pharisees and the Sadducees were so angry when Jesus makes his way uh, into Jerusalem and all the city is saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's in John's uh, account. And right before the, the triumphant entry and them having the palm branches, their clothing and crying Hosanna, if you're reading 12, chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, uh, 11 is about Lazarus being raised, but listen to verses 10 and 11 of John. But the chief priests took counsel that they might also put Lazarus to death because mm. on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Now, Alex, these men, what a timing this is. And I couldn't help but think about this. And we've got to get through because we've got something special for you to hear. But this Lazarus being raised people being saved, Jesus coming in, riding on the donkey, the reaction from the people, these Pharisees and Sadducees, in their mind, they had to act because they were going to lose everything. Now, what was they going to lose? Control. 
the ultimate desire that Satan had and that his minions have. And yeah, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they qualify as his minions uh, before some of those Pharisees got saved. I never, not too many Sadducees, but they Mm -hmm. said, we've got to do something. We can't, we're losing the power, losing the control. Alex, uh, Jesus' timing was impeccable. Exactly. And do you know what, to this day, um, I, I really do think it's a, it's about control. Now, believing that, that God has intervened in the world, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, you know, I, I don't know that people have so much trouble believing, but it's accepting the fact that if you turn your life over to the Lord, uh, you're the follower and he's the leader. You know, one of the titles in the Gospels that they would use for Jesus is Master. And Jesus is our Lord, our Master. And Bert, I, I really think it's not so much about the inability to believe, but the unwillingness to follow. Don't, don't you think coming to Christ, or or for those that, that refuse to come to Christ, very often it's about control. I believe it is with all my heart. And again, that's what's taking place in the world that we live in right now. The whole idea, I, I'm talking about from the Democratic, the Republican Party. Uh, they want what? They want control of the Senate. They want control of the House. They want control of the White House. It is control that that is desired politically. It's control that people want, uh, you know, uh, I would say even spiritually. They don't mind being called spiritual as long as they can have some kind of religion that puts them in that category, uh, as we talked about yesterday, answering a question about the karma. If they have that, mm. if, they, if they're in charge of it, that's all right. But a religion that says, no, you're a servant. No, you're the least of these. No, you can't do it on your own. God is in control. So, Alex, uh, I think you're right. Uh, you know, in John, uh, well, I've got a thought that I want to give about John fourteen six, where Jesus said, uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. But first, I want to do something, folks. I want you to listen carefully, because if you need a boost, you need a blessing, you're about to get it. Yesterday, we mentioned a, a dear uh, gospel preacher, he's in heaven now, S.M. Lockeridge. And there's there's an audio clip called He's My King. And and Devin and Bert, can we play that? Folks, um, just open up your heart and get ready to be moved as this wonderful voice from the past tries to tell us just who Jesus is. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impossible. 
impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him. For yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Amen. 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 Yeah, you like that. The grave couldn't hold him. Uh, Isn't that he? He is the king. He is is the king. And folks, that's why we love uh, you know. In all the teaching and all the content, it's it's all wonderful. The Bible is full of everything from the the inspirational words, the uplifting words, the history, the prophecy. But here's the thing: the message of Scripture is Jesus. The meaning of life is to know Jesus. And he is, as that that matchless recording said, he is the centerpiece of history. And uh, Bert, I, th- I think it's true. There is nothing more important, more relevant, more significant, more monumental. There's nothing we could say into this microphone but Jesus. He is the name above all names. And, and when he was coming in... Uh, Everyone there knew this is different. This is something we haven't seen before. The people gathered in such a manner, and they were saying, who is this over in Matthew? But but in John, there's something else, and I, I think this goes with it. And it says uh, the people that were there that day, it says in verse 20 of chapter uh, 12 of John, 
Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda of Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. What a statement, Alex. Uh, About this this, uh, uh, triumphant entry, who is this? We want to see him. The Pharisees said, look, everybody's going his way. We got to do something about this. It brought to the climax Jesus' ministry. Now, uh, and he would later, and we're going to do this next week, but I think it'd be all right to jump ahead. And he went to the garden, and that's where he prayed, Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. There was no other way, but he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So here at the triumphant entry, Alex, here is Jesus proclaiming his Messiahship. He's proclaiming who he is. All these times, the Pharisees and different ones tried to get him to say words that would cause them to uh, curse him and say he's blaspheming. And here he declares as he comes in riding on that donkey. What a declaration. And the prayer is, and Alex and I are praying for those who are listening today, that you would declare him Lord of your lives, that you would ask him, Lord, I know that you came, you were perfect, you died, you rose again. You're at the right hand of the Father. And today, I surrender my life to you as I repent of my sin and I ask you to be Lord of my life. I just want to tell you, if you would make that your prayer, your life will begin to make sense. I didn't say it'd get a lot easier, but you will have a friend that sticks closer than a brother and Alex, I think we could ask the ask uh, say what S.M. Lockridge says. That's my king. He is mm. the king of kings and lord of lords, isn't he? He really is. Folks, this is Exploring the Word with Bird Harper, Alex McFarland. So glad you're listening. Talking about Jesus, the triumphal entry, the things leading up to Easter, plus your phone calls, questions, and more. Stay tuned. Exploring the Word is right back after a brief break. Don't go away. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Diane Farrell, Acting Deputy Undersecretary for International Trade. She oversees the daily operations of the International Trade Administration with offices in 100 cities around the world. Proverbs 11.1 reminds us of the importance of fair trade. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Diane Farrell in her work managing international trade. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country, and we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. From a golden idol in a pagan temple to a Hollywood celebrity, Dr. Tony Evans says idols come in all shapes and sizes. He'll give us some surprising examples today as we spend two minutes with Tony. Anything or anyone that competes for your ultimate loyalty is your idol. Bad things that you depend on is idolatry. You depend on drugs, that drug is an idol because it's become the source of your ultimate well-being. People can become an idol. 
because your ultimate well-being is locked up in them and not in God. So people can have people addictions. An idol, however, doesn't have to be something bad. It can be something good that you make God. Money is good, but you can make it materialism God. Success is good, but you can make success God. We live in a day, taking from the show, American Idol, of celebrity worship. Appreciating people, valuing them for their skills, their abilities. The moment they become the source of how you, well, you are doing, that's become a God. Education can be a God. You can put so much weight on your degree that it is competing with God. That's why the Bible says they are ever learning but never coming into the knowledge of the truth. So they got degrees, they got information, but they didn't made more out of this stuff than they ought to make. Discover the surprising things we often worship instead of God. Check out Tony's CD series, American Idols, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. As we go, let us make disciples. As we go, let us tell the world Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex with you. And we're talking about the triumph entry we did yesterday. This would be part two. And by the way, if you want to know what we said yesterday, you can go to the podcast, AFR.net, look at podcast, look down yes. at Exploring the Word, and you will find that, all the podcasts, great, great uh, uh, reference, great place uh, helps. But Alex, in Luke 19, we have the triumph entry, and, and what I was wanting to do is look at what each one added, and, and I thought this was intriguing. I want your thoughts on it. He's coming in, and notice what it says in verse 37, Luke 19, verse 37. He's on the donkey, and it says, Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Let me share this. I believe these are the real disciples that were following Christ. Uh, a few days later, I believe the Pharisees, the Sadducees had gathered up some of these, but a large number of other people to cry out, crucify him. In other words, they were some of the same people. But this seems to say to us, these are disciples. They rejoiced and praised God. In verse 38, saying, Blessed is the name who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now listen to verse 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him, Jesus, from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered and said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Here Amen. is Jesus. Here's the Pharisees. Uh, you hold them down. These are fanatics. Uh, you don't want them out of hand. They're out of control. Uh, get a hold of them. And Jesus said, basically, uh, I, he had already told this earlier about Lazarus. Loose him and let him go. Now, that was about the rapping that he was there. But here, put it in my way, uh, Jesus is saying, no, loose them and let them go. Let them, let them praise the Lord. Let them praise me. Alex, 
the Pharisees, they didn't like it. They're showing their face. They're showing their reality. Uh, they was losing that control. And here in Luke, I think it is very definitely seen with their request to Jesus, quieting these people down. Mm. Well, you know, everything in the Gospels is significant. I mean, you know, Jesus said, search the scriptures for they testify of me. And just one of my, my favorite books that Norm Geisler ever wrote was called To Understand the Bible, Look for Jesus. Now, now think about this. You know, so much is uh, there are places. says he drew near to Bethphage and to Bethany and to the Mount of Olives, right? And then he goes to Jerusalem. Well, remember how uh, Jesus cursed the fig tree. I mean, he looks over Jerusalem, and uh, he's going, and there's a fig tree. They're on his way to the Passover week, and um, near Bethany, there's a fig tree that is, they call it in leaf. Um, It's in late spring, and so there's no figs on this tree. And the, the foliage meant that there should have been figs. There's no fruit. And remember, he curses the fig tree, and it miraculously withers, never to bear fruit again. And that's been called the saddest miracle. All right? Now, think about this. He goes, the donkey, remember, he sends his disciples, and go, and you're going to find a donkey. And if anybody says, um, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has need of it. Well, Bethphage, because remember, Beth, B-E-T-H, means house of, for instance, the Lord was born in Bethlehem, house of bread, okay? Bethphage means house of unripe figs. Odd name for a town, isn't it? And yet, see, Israel was uh, referred to as the fig tree. And, you know, no fruit. Well, that was Israel at this point. And here comes the Messiah, and they reject him, crucify him. So the donkey that he rides in on was tied at a town called house of unripe figs. But then they go to Bethany. Bert, have you looked up some of these town names? Think about this, folks. Bethany means house of suffering. And certainly that's, that's the house he was headed towards. You might as well say the Mount of Olives. Well, olive oil was made by pressure. You know, oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. And the Mount of Olives would, would be where, you know, the, the pressure. And, of course, Christ would suffer the greatest pain of all that we might be saved. So Bert, and of course, you know, Jerusalem um, really means the city of God's peace. Don't you see all of these place names and every detail? It's greatly significant in in pointing to all the realities of the gospel story, isn't it? It is. And again, some of these are more common than others. Bethany is, is that place that he would come in Jerusalem and he would stay there. That's the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So each one of these has a significance not only in geography, but also in tell. As Alex, you've done a good job of telling the story of of what it was and what was taking place. Now, if Jesus hadn't, if this happened to Christ, uh, we'd just call them by name and think, well, that's an interesting name. But when you look at Jesus and his coming to them, coming from them, uh, all of a sudden it fills those, even those towns and their names with significance, as you said. Speaking of Bethany, 
and and I wanted to do this, and this is uh, in March again. He covers triumphant entry, and much of it's the same, all all four. But each one of them adds a little bit. And the little bit that I wanted to look at, and Alex, again, comment on it if you would, chapter 11, verse 11 of here. Now, it doesn't talk about him going to the temple that day, except it says he went into the temple. Verse 11, Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. Now, some of the others tells what he did there, and we'll get to that uh, again Monday, I think, because he does it again. But notice what he did. So when he looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, again, that's, as you said, is it significant? I think it is. Notice what he did. He looked around at all things. There was nothing that he did not know. He knew all the things that were going to happen. He knew that the things were coming to a climax because he had already said it uh, earlier, especially in the book of Mark here. He had said it in chapter 8 when he was up north, and he says, I must go to Jerusalem, and there I will suffer, and even there I'll, I'll die, and uh, I'll, but I'll rise again. He started that, and now it's coming full circle. He is here, and notice what it says, as the hour was already late. Now, it's already late in the day. But this is already late in the early ministry of Jesus Christ. It's drawing to a close as far as his physical, earthly ministry. So what did he do? I love this. He went out to where? Bethany with the 12. Mm. Now, this is the place, as you said, the place of suffering, the house of suffering. So that's what he went into to be a part of this. And what would happen later on next week? He would be in the garden, and he would be praying about the suffering that he was about to take place within the next few hours. So, Alex, each one of these Gospels show us a little bit of different dimension of Jesus in the triumphant entry. And even in this triumphant entry, with you talking about Bethsage and Bethany, we yeah. also anticipate what? The suffering, even in the entry, the triumph. The people, Hosannas, he knows the shadow of the cross is still over him. Mm. Well, you know what's so interesting, and, and folks, we often talk about the Trinity uh, on this program. And look, uh, it's been said that it takes the whole Trinity to make a Christian. The Father sent the Son. The Son paid the price. The Spirit draws. The Spirit convicts. The Spirit enlightens and the spirit regenerates it's amazing now john 14 6 jesus said no man comes to the father but through me and that's true if you want a relationship with god there's one way to achieve that and that's through a relationship with jesus john 14 6 but look no one comes to the the father but through jesus but no one comes to jesus except by the father because in John 6, Jesus said, no one can come to me except the Father draws him. Isn't that something? And that's why, look, what you believe is important. Um, now, getting into heaven is not a theology lesson. And um, Bert, it, it's possible to be ignorant of some things, but it's wrong to know things and yet reject it. That's why when we talk about things like the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, 
uh, eternally existing, but three persons reveal, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Um, you know, that's why when we talk about things like understanding um, to be born again, this is immeasurably significant. And so what, uh, what we see happening here was ordained by God. Why? Because he loves us. Isn't that something? God knows all things. The father knew that his son would be cursed, uh, accused, rejected, beaten, spat upon, blasphemed, ultimately nailed with hammers and spikes, nailed to a cross. And you know what? Even though God knew that because God knows all things, Isaiah 53 says it pleased the Father to bruise him. Why? Because he loves us. And God, if you've ever wondered, does my life matter? Does God even does God even love me? Yes, because God was willing to spare no expense. Even the brutal, agonizing death of the Son of God, the Father said, you know what? It's worth it if you'll believe and be saved. It pleased the Father to bruise him. That's just how much God loves each one of us. The song says, no one ever cared for me like Jesus, and that is so true. And again, as it says in Hebrews, that Jesus endured the cross that the, for the joy that was set before him. Alex, that's how much he loves us, that he would go to that place of suffering for us. And why? It is because of who he is. Getting back to this triumphant entry in the book of Matthew where we started yesterday, and the conclusion was after he came in, the, the clothes spread before him, the branches waving and spread before him, the multitudes crying, Hosanna to the son of David, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In verse 10 of Matthew uh, 21 says, And when he had come into Jerusalem, the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Now the answer, and I want you to, uh, and, and S.M. Lockridge did this. and That's one reason we played it. It says, The multitude said, Who is this? The prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That's why I wanted to play the distinction or understand the distinction. Where he was when he came at the Mount of Olives to meet him, that was the believers. But as those believers came in, they were joined by others. Others, the multitude began to grow, and they were asking, who is this? And the answer from the multitudes, it wasn't necessarily the answer of the apostles. It wasn't the answer of his disciples but it was the answer of, quote, the world. And their answer was, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, Alex, they were accurate in what they said. But again, as I said yesterday, there, he is so much more. And, and I want to set this up and throw it back to you. I got saved as a 12-year-old boy. Uh, I did not. I, I knew I needed a Savior. I knew I was going to hell without him. So I asked Jesus as I surrendered my life to him, repented, turned away from my sin, and asked him to, to come into my life, and he did. I got more than I ever dreamed is the only way I can say it. I got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I, I not only got a Savior, I, I, he was Lord. I didn't know I knew he was Lord, but I didn't know anything about lordship, you know, salvation. 
but I got someone who can guide me through the landmines of life. Landmines. Right now they're talking about in Ukraine and how the Russians left landmines around some places, horrible things. God is the one that can guide us. So who is Jesus in your life? I pray that he's more than just a historical figure. I pray that he's more than someone that the Bible just talks about. I pray that he is your Lord, your Savior. Alex, he does come into our life. He changes everything, doesn't he? Well, you know, he does. Yes, he does change everything, and rightly so, because Jesus is everything. You know, um, I, I love in uh, John twelve nineteen when the Pharisees said, because, you know, see, a lot of the people at Palm Sunday, no doubt, were the people that had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the grave. That's what it says in John 12. And it says in John 12, 19, look, the whole world has gone after him. Isn't that something? Uh, yeah. Now, I wish that was true. Yeah. I mean, I wish the whole world would believe in Jesus right now. Seven or eight billion people in the world. Bert, don't we don't we need to pray for and work toward the day that, quote, the whole world would go after Jesus, you yes. know? Amen. Now, they, they meant it maybe sarcastically. They, they meant it like be, be led astray. But we know that um, when people come to Jesus, they're saved, they're fulfilled, they're washed clean, they're given everlasting life. And uh, isn't it something? You remember Gamaliel in the book of Acts? They said, look, if this, is, um, if this is nothing, then it'll fade away. Just so don't worry about it. But if this is of God and we're persecuting the church, we're going to find ourselves fighting against God. Bert, I've, I've debated a lot of atheists. And um, there was a very famous atheist about 15 years ago. And an interviewer asked this particular atheist, well, look, if there is no God and Christianity is a myth, then why are you investing your life to fight about this God you say doesn't even exist. And the atheist had no answer. We're still talking about Jesus 2,000 years after the empty tomb. Why? Because he is the focal point of history. He is. He's the vo- he, I hope he's the focal point of your life. Hey, we're going to take phone calls. That number, 888 What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God. And our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. History teaches the world has been filled with violence, tragedy, even injustice. But will it always be this way? In the book of Revelation, we find the answer to this question. I'm Charles Morris with Haven Today. Join me all week for a series called Journey to the End of the World. Haven Today, weekday mornings at 4.30 Central on American Family Radio. Listen online at AFR.net. 
The communist government has spoken. There's no room for Christianity within the walls of China. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and a man named Katsu is an evangelical pastor, a little more than 50. He serves outside of Beijing. I won't identify his village. But I would guess he has been beaten in jail 25 times over the course of his ministry. Most recently, they beat him so severely he could not get up for a week. They let him go and told him to never speak of Jesus again. About a week later, a knock came on his door. He was somewhat reluctant to open it, but he found Hayo, the bitter atheist interrogator who beat him terribly. Had one question that burned in his heart all week long. Why were you at such peace when we were beating you? So Katsu would open his door, open his Mandarin Bible, and lead this bitter atheist to faith in Christ. Together, they've witnessed thousands coming to Christ who all need Bibles in China. At $5 a Bible, would you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at SendBiblesNow.org. That's SendBiblesNow.org. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. With this statement, Jesus affirmed what he'd already said in Genesis 1 and 2 and defined marriage for all time. Contrary to the protestations of the nouveau critical theorists, the nuclear family consisting of a married father and mother is not a Western sociological prescription or construct. Marriage did not originate in the West. Its origin isn't suburban America. It started in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. Marriage is God's idea. Therefore, he alone defines it. If you don't like it, your problem is with God, not me. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.13 American Family Radio Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex with you today. We've been going over the triumph and entry, and we hope that it blessed you. And this Sunday, uh, I got a feeling a lot of churches, the choirs, the worship team, soloists, may be singing about some things about Hosanna to the King. And so I pray you'll make your way to a local church, and, and there you'll share and just be a part of this. True worshipers, again, uh, I... Not all the people agree with me, but I believe when that multitude started as they were receiving Jesus, they were the followers. But it grew and grew to those that were not followers of Christ. Alex, uh, I know we got to get to the phone calls, but that reminds me of Easter. What a time around Easter, Palm Sunday and Easter, to make sure, yes, you talk about it, but share the gospel because there's some people sometimes that come to church during those times that don't come any other time what a lot of time for them to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. Amen. And, you know, I've always encouraged pastors and my students, you know, these these holidays like Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving and Mother's Day, use these times to preach the gospel because this is, this is one of the church's annual big chances 
because people are in church that might not otherwise be. Hey, um, we're going to get to the calls. By the way, the number is 888-589-8840. An hour from now, I'm going to be subbing for Abe Hamilton on the Hamilton Corner, which is uh, 6 to 7 Eastern Time, 5 to 6 Central, and so forth. But So uh, anyway, uh, keep me in prayer, everybody, and tune in again. I'll be doing another hour during the Hamilton Corner time. But, uh, Bert, are you ready to go to the calls? I'm ready. Where do we go to first, Alex? Oh, that beautiful state of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia. (laughs) Uh, David in Virginia, welcome to Exploring the Word. Good afternoon. How are y'all? Blessed to hear from you. Good. Listen, um... Back before Christ, uh, they looked to the cross, you know, and then after Christ, you know, we look back to the cross and we verbalize, you know, we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But what did before Christ, I mean, did they, did they, did they, did they say like a sinner's prayer that when the, when the Christ comes or, or what? Okay, great question, mm-hmm. David. Alex, you know, uh, the cross and the resurrection are the days that all all time hinges upon. Before mm-hmm. the cross, after the cross, the resurrection, before and after. Those, they trusted the Lord. Uh, let me say, David, you know, you're talking about the sinner's prayer. Uh, let me, I, I'm going to say something dangerous. It's not your words that God hears anyway. Uh, now, we hear it, and so Alex and I, when we pray, we love for folks to repeat after us. That's good. But if that's all it is, it's words. God looks at the heart. For with a heart, man believeth, and he was a tongue. He will confess what's happened. And so those, those followers of God, before they still looked forward to God's intervention in life, they didn't know the specifics, but they knew God, and they trusted him, didn't they, Alex? They really did. They, they really did. Hey, and by the way, you know, it's an amazing thing. Jesus, how significant is Jesus? Well, we we set the calendar by Jesus. Um, you know, what's amazing is the Romans had for centuries, they measured time from the founding of, of Rome, which was about 735 B.C. That's how they measured time. In the Eastern world, they measured time by the life of emperors. But you know what's amazing? Um, around the uh, the late fifth early sixth century there were two people in in what is now England um, they begin to measure time by the birth of Christ there was a historian named the venerable Bede B E D E who writes about how they begin to measure time and what's interesting is there was a um, a Catholic monk named Dionysus Exegesis what a great name if you, hey, if you're in the ministry uh, and your name is Exegesis, that's a real good name. But he came up with B.C. and A.D. In other words, before Christ and Anno Domini in the year of our Lord, which is interesting um, because the calculation Dionysus Exegesis came up with is pretty much what Bede says these ancient um, Europeans were, were calculating. But here's my point. Um, just as the focal moment of history was the birth of Christ, the focal moment of each of our lives is the day Jesus comes in. Amen. Put Amen. Your Thank faith you, in David. Him. Thank you, brother. Where to next, Alex? 
Well, we're going to go to uh, Mississippi. How about Josh in Mississippi? Welcome to the American Family Radio Network, Josh. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Good to have you. I I understand the difference between tithes and offerings. My question is, if all you can personally afford to give is your tithe, but you also see a financial need in somebody's life, is it right for you to give a portion of your tithe to help that person in need? Okay. Uh, good question, Josh. I, this is a question that will divide people. I can tell you that right now. Alex, here's the question. Is the storehouse tithing only to the church? You know what? I, I'm going to say this, and I'm only speaking for Alex. <laughs> this here, is one so of those questions, isn't it? Yeah. If, if I speak out of school, please forgive me. And anybody that disagrees, you know, I, I, I could be wrong. I really prayed about this because um, I heard it preached, you know, in Malachi 3, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And preachers would say, well, your tithe belongs to your local church. Um, and I get it. You need, to, um, you need to support your church. You do. But Angie and I, there have been tithes, and this is just me, so take it with a grain of salt. Sometimes, because like, there's times we were moving and we didn't have a church home, so we would give our tithe to different ministries. I've given tithe money to people that we were trying to help out. I generally, I'm going to say 80% of all of our giving, as far as our tithing, has been to the church where we're a member. Um, and then we try to increase. Every January, we try to, by faith, go up a little bit. But Bert, um, you know the concept of storehouse tithing. I'm not sure that a Christian has to always... Um, rigidly follow that, but but what do you say, Bert? I agree with you. I I was brought up the same way in thinking. I started looking at scripture, and I want to tell you an experience. Sometimes God can use an experience. Now, experiences outside of the Word of God, no good. Understand, you know. But God gave us. I pastored a church, and there was a family or two in that church that were. I, the only word I know was wealthy beyond anybody else in that church. Had they given their 10% only, on the 10%, if they gave it to that local church, it would have made them to be able to give, you know, 40% or 50% of the income to those churches. It would have been completely out of line. What would it have done to that church had they decided, well, I'm going to move away? It would have left that church devastated. I can say this. That taught me something. I'm glad they did not. They gave liberally to the local church, but they use part of that tithe to support missionaries, to support individuals, Alex, like you said, in that community, and uh, I, I believe there's room for that. I, I'm with you. I even practice that, that at that time, in this time now, we do that, and so Josh, uh, I still think you should support your local church. If you can't support your local church for why it's teaching, and what it's doing, you might need to change. Let me share that with it, throw that in and, there. And, and one last thought on this. Um, evaluate where fruit is being made. You know, um, and, and listen, again, I, I believe in supporting the church, but there, there's churches that have, you know, big, big endowments, and um, then on the other hand, you might have missionaries that are doing, you know, real 
pioneer work and Preach bearing fruit. Amen. So we try to, and, and I'm just going to say this, and I'm going to, but things like AFA, support AFA. My goodness, Sherathon is coming up, and and millions of lives are being touched. Every year people are coming to Christ, people are getting equipped to help stand for truth. And so I think you need to be an informed giver and find out where the fruit is being born and um, as God enables you, support there. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, brother. Where to next? Uh, Texas. Mary in Texas. Mary, thanks for holding. Welcome. I, I appreciate you taking my call today. Uh, my question is, I've heard people say that when a prophet prophesies and it doesn't come true, where is that scripture found at in the Bible? And I have a second question. Okay. Uh, I don't know exactly um, that if it's a scripture, Alex, I think the whole thing, a prophet in the Old Testament, if they made a prophecy and didn't come true, uh, sometimes it could lead to dire circumstance, couldn't it? Deuteronomy 18.22 is one of them that, that basically the litmus test is that if, if someone is a true prophet of God, everything they say will happen. Uh, Deuteronomy 13 speaks of this. If, if a prophet or someone uh, has dreams and proclaims a sign, no sign or wonder he is promised to you comes about, but he says, let us follow other gods. He's not a true prophet of God. That's Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3, then Deuteronomy 18, 22. In other words, if someone is a true prophet of God, and, and this begets, uh, let's say this, the word prophesy is used in a couple of senses. One is foretelling the future. The other is forth-telling the Word of God. In a sense, Bert and I prophesy, not in the sense of foretelling the future, because we don't know how to do that, but we can forth-tell the truth of God's Word. But in, when it comes to predictions, um, the litmus test God gave ancient Israel was, um, if they're wrong even once, they weren't a true prophet of God. Harry? Okay. In the um, book of Revelation, I think it's 21, where the woman in the wilderness with the child and the eagle wings. What mm -hmm. is your opinion on that? Someone told us a week ago it was America. And I, I don't see how they get that. Is that for the Jewish people or is it for the church? Let me say this, Mary. Since I've been a Christian, everybody's been looking for America in prophecy. And I've read several books, American Prophecy. They think it's this. They think it there. We don't know for sure. But, Alex, do you know what that is referring to that Mary is talking about? Um, I've always heard this is uh, in Revelation 12, verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness and the dragon pursued. I've, I've always heard that was Israel, the believing Israelites, that remnant of Israelites that were uh, fleeing the persecution of the Antichrist. Yeah. Um, now, you know, with wings like eagles, I can understand that that's, oh, wait a minute, eagles, that might speak of America. But this is like for the second half of the tribulation, 1260 days, there will be um, a remnant of believing Jews that are protected from the, the, the martyrdom of the Antichrist, really, that the woman in the wilderness is Israel, probably hiding out in a place called Petra. That's it. Mary, thank you for that. Let's go to the next call, Alex. 
really great calls here. This is Kimberly in Indiana. Let me um, make a button work here. Goodness. I'm going to tell it. you. I got it You do you. it because this yeah, computer yeah. is locked up. Hey, Kimberly. Kimberly, Hi. are you there? Yes. Okay, go Hi. right ahead. Um, I have a couple of questions. Can you tell me uh, the name of the piece you played by S.M. Lockridge? Spell his name. Tell me the name of the piece, how to find it on the Internet. I don't have computer, but my sister has that, and so I wanted to tell her so she could listen to it. I know she could probably... I don't think she has the AFR app downloaded. But Let me spell this. This is so wonderful. Uh, and what a great name. Uh, S.M. Lockridge, and that's spelled L-O-C-K-R-I-D-G-E. L-O-C-K-R-I-D-G-E. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. Was and he was name. he was an African-American pastor in San Diego. And if you, San Diego. Yeah, if you'll Google that, it'll come up. You'll have several. There's some of them that are seven minutes long. We we played the shortest one that we could find, so we'd have time. But S.M. Lockridge, just get that name, and, uh, you know, is the, it will help. What about your second question? The name of the piece? It, well, uh, that's, my the, king. that's my king. That's my king. That's my king. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, and my second question is, we just found out that we had a death in the family, and um, I want to send a sympathy card to his mom. And um, I'm not sure she's an active Christian, as in going to church, reading her Bible. Um, it might be a nominal thing. I'm not sure. Is there a Bible verse that would be appropriate? Uh, Alex, does one come to your mind? I've, I'm going through. Uh, I mean, you could give a verse you know, about Romans, uh, call upon the name of the Lord. Alex, anytime you send a verse like that, uh, yes. people can know that, can't they? Trust the Lord yes. with all your... I Romans could, 10, 13. That's it. Or, and also, how about, uh, is it uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Yeah, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. That, w that would probably be a great word of comfort and encouragement. It would. Man, we had some great calls today. And Linda and Rick, sorry we couldn't get to your calls. We mm. would have loved to talk to you. Uh, wished we had about 10 more minutes, but we don't, Alex. Folks, we just want to tell you we love you. But even more importantly, God loves you. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. And uh, tune in tomorrow. Tell somebody about the American Family Radio Network. Most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus.